Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation since I'm out tomorrow, I've been summoned to the vast right-wing conspiracy in a super-secret meeting, and I was unable to take your calls yesterday. I will take your calls today, 877-973-7425. But before I take any phone calls, we have to get to the border war in Texas. For all of the media complaining about Donald Trump provoking constitutional crises, Joe Biden is provoking a pretty serious constitutional crisis in Texas by failing to secure the border in Texas. I want to play for you what I find very notable, and that is Joe Biden's view on sanctuary cities when he was running for president of the United States in 2007. Joe Biden was in a debate. He was on stage with with the others, Bill Richardson, Chris Dodd, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, all, all the people running for president. He was asked about sanctuary cities in 2007. Listen to this. Would you allow these cities to ignore the federal law regarding the reporting of illegal immigrants and, in fact, provide sanctuary to these immigrants? The reason the cities ignore the federal law is the fact that there is no funding at the federal level to provide for the kind of enforcement at the federal level you need. Pick up the New York Times today. There's a city not far across the river from my state that imposed a similar sanctions. And what they found out is, as a consequence of that, their city went in the dumps, in, in the dumpsters. Stores started closing. Everything started to happen. And they changed the policy. Part of the problem is you have to have a federal government that can enforce laws. This administration has been fundamentally derelict in not funding any of the requirements that are needed even to enforce the existing so law. Senator Biden, yes or no, would you allow the cities to ignore the federal law? No. No. He wouldn't allow them to ignore federal law. By the way, um, this was before the facelift, the Botox, and the dementia. Notice the change in Joe Biden from then to now. Um, not stammering, not stuttering. I thought he had a speech impediment. He didn't there. He wasn't going, um, it was it was a pretty clear, precise answer from Joe Biden. Joe Biden today is provoking a constitutional crisis in Texas. But to, to get there, I need to explain to you exactly what happened at the Supreme Court this past week. I, I, I was talking to you all about this and, and the issue at the court where they agreed with the Biden administration. What was at stake there was whether or not the federal government had uh, waived sovereign immunity. And sovereign immunity means that the federal government cannot be sued. This is the case and the issue before the Supreme Court is, is the federal government able to be sued by the states over the immigration issue? Have they waived sovereign immunity? And the particular issue there with the Supreme Court was an injunction placed against federal government officers that they could not remove border razor wire fencing, 
uh, even though it was impeding their job. And that was all that was at stake at the Supreme Court. The case continues. And what the Supreme Court said, and it, this isn't a novel issue, this is an issue that the courts have addressed in the past, the courts have said that the federal government injunction should be vacated so that the federal government is allowed to remove the razor wire if, if, if it impedes their job. There are progressives like, for example, Beto O'Rourke, who is arguing that Texas is defying the United States Supreme Court. Texas is not defying the United States Supreme Court by continuing to lay border wire. There, the Supreme Court specifically removed an injunction against the federal government's ability to remove razor wire. It had nothing to do with Texas at all. There was nothing to do with Texas. Texas is not enjoined. Texas is not compelled. Uh, there is no spirit of the Supreme Court decision. There is the Supreme Court decision, which was the removal of an injunction against the federal government. If removing the border wire impedes its functions, it is allowed to. Anyone telling you anything differently is actually being dishonest. Now, Greg Abbott, for his part, the governor of the state of Texas, has publicly released a letter saying that uh, this is an Article 1, Section 10 matter. Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the United States Constitution says, No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay and duty of tonnage, any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in the time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state or with the foreign power, or engage in war, unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit delay. Greg Abbott, in his public statements, is saying that Texas is being invaded. The federal government has not stopped the invasion. Therefore, Texas has a right of self-defense. Now, you should note Greg Abbott publicly in letters is making Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 an argument in public, in court, Texas has not made this argument. Now, the ball game has shifted a bit beyond Article 1, Section 10, and, and we're actually going to the very basics of the Constitution here in this crisis, and it is a constitutional crisis Joe Biden is engaged in. Listen, if you can define what happened on January 6th as an insurrection, there's no way to conclude anything other than this mass wave of humanity crossing the Texas border is, is an invasion. If January 6th is an insurrection, this is an invasion. If you're going to play the word game with a four-hour temper tantrum in the halls of Congress, you got a better, clearer, precise definition of invasion for this. There's something called the Peace of Westphalia. The Peace of Westphalia was a, a settled treaty after the great wars of Europe, and it established nationhood. It established boundaries. Nations became really sovereign states outside of Roman imperial and Holy Roman imperial territory and papal control. You had real nation states and real people. And since that time, by and large, we have viewed uh, crossing the lines of nation states with arms to be an invasion. Prior to that time, a mass wave of people coming across a nation state's border with or without arms was an invasion. And in many parts of the world today, it's still considered an invasion. When a mass wave of humanity, foreign humanity, crosses a border, it's considered an invasion, whether or not they're there to take over or not. 
And Texas says, based on these historic definitions, we're being invaded. Now, there's a wrinkle in this as well. There are 14, 15, there are 15 sovereign nations that came into the United States of America. As I mentioned the other day, ceding limited power. You have in the Declaration of Independence, you've got Connecticut, Delaware, well, let me just go in the order of sign. Georgia, Maryland, Delaware, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Virginia, New York, Rhode Island, South Carolina, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire. You've got 12 or 13 sovereign nations that signed the Declaration of Independence. When they then decided to form the Congress and the Constitution, they ceded limited authority to Washington, D.C., Two other sovereign nations joined the United States. One is the nation of Hawaii, that kingdom of Hawaii that became part of the Republic, and the other is the Republic of Texas. It is really hard to imagine the Republic of Texas would have joined the American Republic if it knew that a president of the United States would not defend Texas's border from Mexico given the history between Texas and Mexico. You cannot possibly conceive of a time Texas would have willingly by treaty joined the American Republic knowing that the United States would not protect its border. It's also hard to imagine any of the original colonies joining the American Union and giving up their right of self-defense. I mean, have you looked at the map? Georgia was bordered in the south by Spanish territory. It had British and French territory around it as well. Remember, Georgia stretched from the Mississippi. Alabama and Mississippi were part of the state of Georgia. You're really going to tell the nation of Georgia once it got its independence from Great Britain, that the United States wouldn't protect its borders from Spain, France, and Great Britain, or or Massachusetts, or New York. I mean, it, it, New York, Massachusetts, those New England states, deeply worried about Britain, British territory in Canada. You really believe they would join the Union of the United States and say, ah, well, if uh, we're okay if the United States doesn't defend our border and we're giving up our right of self-defense. Really? Do you, do you think that's actually something that would have happened? That's Texas's argument. There's no way this union of states would exist if the states knew going in that they gave up their right to defend themselves and the federal government wouldn't defend them. There's no way that could exist. That's Texas's argument. And it's a legitimate, valid argument. This is Joe Biden provoking a constitutional crisis. All Joe Biden has to do is secure the border. You know, one of the remarkable things here is, is how in Virginia, Fairfax County, Virginia, there is a rapist, pedophile, illegal immigrant who the county of Fairfax County, Virginia, has allowed out of prison so that he doesn't have to be turned over to ICE. These woke progressives in counties like that are more concerned about the illegal aliens than they are the American states.
And by the way, no state was really uh, concerned with Texas, and so they started feeling the effects. Chicago, New York, and the like, these, these cities and the, the states they're tied to, New York State and Illinois, California, and the like, they couldn't care less when Texas was border, burdened with this stuff. And for some reason, they care deeply that Texas is trying to defend its border. This is provoking a constitutional crisis to the foundational underpinnings of the United States of America. Can a semi-sovereign entity that has a right of self-defense in the Constitution actually defend itself from an invasion? It, no, it's not a military invasion, but they are bringing over human traffickers. They're bringing over drugs. They're bringing over crime. They're bringing over disease. They are bringing over disease, actually. Apparently, you're a racist when you point that fact out, but it's true. Can Texas defend itself or not? That's what this is about. It is the biggest story right now. The Texas governor has called out the Texas National Guard to go secure the border and repel the invaders. Progressives are asking Joe Biden to federalize the Texas National Guard to stop Texas from what it is doing. Joe Biden will be exacerbating a constitutional crisis he and progressives provoked if he does that. The Republic of Texas, by treaty, joined into these United States of America. If Texas is not allowed to defend its border from an invasion from Mexico, its historic enemy, and also partner and cousin. If Texas is not allowed to protect itself from invasion, then the promises made to Texas to get it to join our union are a fiction. Joe Biden is playing with fire if he doesn't allow Texas to protect itself. And the Joe Biden of 2007 was willing to allow states to protect themselves and willing to enforce federal immigration law against cities that allowed, that decided to declare themselves sanctuary cities. The Joe Biden of today is not in charge. The progressives rule the roost. And progressives are totally willing to provoke constitutional crises and even break apart this nation that they already find illegitimate. The question is, will Joe Biden let them? Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Y'all on the phones, be patient with me. I got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, I do want to take your phone calls, but just, just bear with me. There is a story. This is from the Daily Signal, Tyler O'Neill. The Maine House of Representatives is considering a bill that would protect anyone who takes a child who identifies as transgender away from quote-unquote non-affirming parents. In order to subject that minor to experimental transgender medical interventions, the legislation would also counteract laws protecting minors from such treatment in other states. The main legislation would prioritize gender-affirming care in custody disputes. It would prohibit courts from considering that a person applying for custody has taken a child from someone else with legal custody, such as parents, if that person removed the child for the purposes of obtaining gender-affirming health care for the child from a state that restricts this experimental care. 
This means judges in custody cases would have to look favorably on anyone who removes a child from parents, so long as that person does so to help the child receive transgender treatments that might leave him or her stunted, scarred, or infertile. In other words, the main legislature is considering legislation to authorize kidnapping and to protect the kidnappers, that you, a non-parent, could take a child to Maine for transgender mutilation surgeries and be protected by the laws of Maine, even if you are not the parent under the legislation. This is the insanity of the trans movement spreading into legislatures. It is religious dogma. Hundreds of years ago, you could be protected for dragging a child away from non-Christian parents and converting the child to Christianity, and, and you would be protected. That's what this is. It is religious dogma uh, to protect these kids. And we got to use air quotes around protection because you're not really protecting them. You're permanently disfiguring them in many cases, and the state will protect you, the kidnapper, doing it. It is religion at work here for the left. Now, I want to get preachy about Vision Computers because, y'all, I love them. Uh, VisionComputers.com, we've got one of their computers at our house, 404-COMPUTE. You can call them and tell them I sent you. You get a great deal. They will build a computer for you, your kid. Your kid headed to college this coming year, needs a computer that's going to last them through college. Vision can build you something that is entirely upgradable, that lasts with your kid all through college and will be the tech support for your kids. So you never have to answer their questions about what to do with the computer. They just call Vision Computers. 404 Computers is the number you call to build the computer. Now, here's the thing. They do it for your business as well. Instead of going and buying generic big box store, one-size-fits-all computers, you let Vision Computers build the computers for you and your employees, and then your employees can call Vision and say, hey, I don't know how to do something on my computer. How do I get it to do this? And they can tell them faster than a Google search. 404 Compute, call them and tell them I sent you they're going to save you money. I can tell you from my own experience with Vision Computers, they listen to you, they build you what you need and want, and they service the heck out of your computer. You're not going to have problems. They give you peace of mind. VisionComputers.com or 404Compute. Call them today. Tell them I sent you. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program I want to I want to explain things in a broader sense. I've been thinking a lot about this, and it, it finally hit me that a lot of what we're talking about is all tied together. A surveyor, Scott Rasmussen, not Rasmussen reports, but Scott Rasmussen himself, uh, who I think is a better pollster than his former company, uh, he's now the president of RMG Research. He conducted a poll, and I missed this yesterday when I was talking about cruise ships and coffee. The left wants you to give up your coffee and cruise ships because of global warming. What they did is identified people with postgraduate degrees living in cities, earning more than $150,000 a year. They surveyed those people. Those people are consider the elite. And there are a lot of you who classify in this, but you're not in the massive urban enclaves. You may be in cities like, I mean, I'm in middle Georgia, but you're not New York. You're not Chicago. You're not Los Angeles or San Francisco. Um, the elite though. And by the way, you should know if you have a postgraduate degree and make over $150,000 a year and live in a city, you, you actually are in a pretty uh, elite demographic. 
So Rasmussen pulls these people and finds out that the top 1%, particularly those with Ivy League degrees, think that you have too much personal freedom. Your freedom of speech needs to be curtailed. Your food should be rationed. You should be forced by power of government to eat differently than you do. You should be forced by government uh, to reduce your electricity consumption to save the planet. Uh, essentially, they want to ban SUVs. They don't want you to be on airplanes, even though they can be on airplanes. They're huge, huge supporters of Joe Biden. They are huge supporters of government regulation. They are the antithesis of freedom. You won't be surprised to learn that these are the same people who think that Israel is the bad guy after Hamas slaughtered thousands of Jews on October 7th. Israel's the bad guy, and Hamas and Gaza are the victims. And these are the same people who want an open border, and it's all related. And I want to dwell on that a little bit. To dwell on that, you need a little bit of a history lesson. We need to go back to the early 1600s. A war broke out. That war actually started in the late 1500s called the 80 Years War. And it was a war that had a lot to do with the spread of Protestantism across the continent of Europe. A number of city-states within the Holy Roman Empire and in uh, other territories began to convert to Protestantism. The Dutch began to wish the Dutch were, were a Spanish Netherlands and they wanted to be their own republic. They wanted to be their own entity. And the Dutch nobility were converting to Protestantism and the, and the Protestant and Catholic Dutch got along with each other and actually they all resented the Spanish. And they started a war and, and that war kind of got out of hand and began to spread. And then they took a long peace and got to what we call the Thirty Years' War, from 1618 to 1648, continental Europe was in war. The British were mostly removed from it, and the French were mostly removed from it. And it actually, because it was such a brutal war, there were parts of Germany that lost 50% of their population. This was a war then where it was essentially Protestants versus Catholics, more precisely uh, the Imperial Alliance of the Spanish Empire, the Habsburg Monarchy, the Catholic League, the Holy Roman Empire, at, at war with various states of uh, Protestantism and territories of Protestantism within the Holy Roman Empire. You had Saxony, Brandenburg, Prussia, has Kessel, uh, Denmark, Norway, the Dutch Republic, Transylvania, Savoy, uh, Sweden, the Kingdom of Bohemia, others. They all went to war with each other, and it was a bloody, bloody, brutal, brutal war. And then things began to consolidate, and France entered. And the Holy Roman Empire and the Spanish Empire, they fought the French and the Swedish, the Dutch, the British Englishmen stayed on the sidelines for a while. And ultimately, there was peace. The peace was settled through multiple treaties, and the peace was ultimately called the Peace of Westphalia. The Peace of Westphalia determined a couple of things. One, it established the boundaries of nation states. And two, it 
essentially was the modern understanding that foreign powers should not meddle in the domestic affairs of other sovereign entities. Foreign powers should not meddle in the sovereign affairs, domestic affairs of other entities. Now, what does this have to do with the wokes and what we're seeing today? Well, the Peace of Westphalia came out of Western civilization and began uh, the rubric under which international law exists today. And all of that comes from Europe and white people. You see where this is headed. The critical theorists argue that white people are oppressors. And because white people are oppressors, the things that derive from whiteness, including the Peace of Westphalia, their oppression. So the boundaries of Israel are part of white colonizer oppression established through the United Nations, controlled by the white people of Europe, the United States, among others. They set up Israel, so Israel is an illegitimate country of colonizers, even though the Jewish people are returning to their ancient homeland that predates the Palestinians. And also, what's one of the things I said about the Peace of Westphalia? It recognizes the modern nation state, respect for borders, respect for the internal domestic politics of sovereign nations. Well, if borders come from the Peace of Westphalia, and borders don't technically come from the Peace of Westphalia, but the modern nation state and the idea of it does, and the borders that come with that, well, then that's something created by white colonizer oppressors, and therefore the idea of the modern nation state is itself an oppressive rubric under which white people control others. Therefore, mass migration of the oppressed non-white people fleeing the colonial regimes of South and Central America into the white man's territory of North America that the white man took through oppressive conquesting measures, we have to all go along with it because they're, this isn't the great reset per se, but they're resetting the balance between the oppressor and the oppressed. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on. That's why this open border thing is a larger deal. Yes, it has a lot to do with stacking the Electoral College, boosting populations of progressive states, but there, a lot of them, they're okay keeping them in Texas. They're okay keeping them in Texas and Florida. So you have to ask yourself, so, so what puts this all together? What puts it all together beyond the Electoral College game? For those of you who aren't familiar with the Electoral College game, a number of Democrats are fine with this mass array of illegal immigrants coming across the border and moving into progressive areas because the census is what determines representation in the House of Representatives. That, in turn, determines the Electoral College. And under the census, we count people residing in the United States, not citizens, not legal residents, everyone. 
legal and illegal. We count them all for purposes of the census. So you bring in a vast array of illegal aliens, you settle them into an area that might otherwise lose population, and suddenly their population goes up, their census number goes up, therefore their House of Representatives uh, congressional delegation goes up, therefore their electoral college improves, therefore they game the system for population through illegal immigration. But they're okay with them hanging out in Texas and Florida and southern states where it also helps their electoral college. So what is the rationale between all of them? It's critical theory. Borders are the tools used by oppressive white people. The idea of the modern nation state comes from the Peace of Westphalia. It was the rubric behind which all international law, including the international law applied to Africa and Asian countries, South American countries, well, it all derives from European history, and therefore it is illegitimate because it's white oppressors who came up with it. They essentially are perfectly happy to dis discombobulate and extinguish the modern idea of the nation state as something colonial, as something white and oppressive. And along with that comes the abolition of your freedoms. Your right to free speech can be used to speak out against this, and that is bad. Your access to electricity puts you at a greater advantage than the poor Africans who don't have dishwashers and washing machines other than, than, than locals who actually do the dishwashing and the, wash, and, and the washing of clothes. So that's bad. It puts you at an advantage. It makes you, the oppressor, more likely to be able to oppress. It must all go away. It is this idea that is so pervasive in postmodern uh, progressivism that is so destabilizing. That's what we're seeing at the border. It's what we see with the protests for Hamas. All of this is tied together in this rubric of intersectional power dynamics. It is a Marxist theory that the left has wholly embraced. And in the process of this, it allows men like Trump and others to thrive because what they can point out is it doesn't work. I mean, just think about this. Our, the, our federal government is unable or unwilling to protect the border. But it's beyond that. So I was reading, uh, I subscribed to a, um, a sub stack uh, by a guy named John Ellis. And he sent out this piece by Philip Howard today. Let me, let me read you part of this. Trump carried every county in New Hampshire except one and now a solid majority in New Hampshire. What accounts for the juggernaut? He obviously embodies something many voters want. My take is that all of his serious rivals, now just Haley and Biden, have promised to be better leaders of the established order. But Trump embodies rejection, even disdain for the establishment. As in 2016, he is lapping his challengers with his contempt for the Washington establishment and indeed for democracy itself. Americans are angry in traditional campaigns based on character policy proposals and baby kissing are not resonating. Trump's riding a wave of pessimism. Brett Stevenson, the New York Times columnist, the center-right columnist, writes, quote, the brokenness has become the defining character of much of American life. Broken families, broken public schools, broken small towns, broken inner cities, broken universities, broken health care, broken media, broken churches, broken borders, broken government. The system is failing. The elite have failed. 
They can't defend us. They can't defend our border. They can't protect us from criminals. They let the criminals out of prison. They can't protect our small businesses from shoplifters. They can't teach our kids. They have to indoctrinate our kids. They have to surgically experiment, castrate, and um, in, in, um, go after our kids in harmful ways that sterilize our kids. They've lost the mission. They've lost the focus. The elite are failing, and so the country is failing, and the backlash is coming. And the backlash is coming because these elite have embraced the power dynamics of Marxism, which are incompatible with a capitalist country. They haven't been able to fail. They haven't been able to convert the capitalist country into a failed Marxist state. Look, it's not a coincidence that in Europe there's a rise of right-wing populism also coming with this human invasion of illegal immigrants in Europe from Africa and Asia. You're seeing right-wing populism rise everywhere the elite don't take borders seriously, and the elite don't take the borders seriously because they've decided that the borders were imposed by a bunch of white people in the 16 and 1700s, and they're therefore oppressive and illegitimate. Critical theory is unraveling the Western state. But here's the thing. The people don't actually want the state unraveled. They want the elite unraveled. And they're working on doing that. And if the elite don't pay attention and don't promise fixes and don't show they can fix and don't fix, not only are you not going to stop the Trump train, you're going to get run over by a mass horde of legal citizens rushing to power to stop the invasion that you don't want to stop and also to stop you from controlling the rest of our lives. There will be hell to pay for what the elite are doing. And you can't blame the people for rising up against them, even if in ways you don't like that it manifests. It's a worthy cause to purge the progressive elite from institutions of power. They've screwed up everything. They've broken the system. And now they don't even respect our national sovereignty and borders. They've come for you in the banking system, for example. They don't want you to have a bank. They, they want to be able to regulate your transactions in banks so you can't buy guns. It's happening more and more. You should say goodbye to the woke banks and the cancel freedom love cancel freedom loving Americans because they don't agree with your politics. They don't agree with your faith. They don't agree with your purchases. You can switch to Old Glory Bank. It was started by John Rich, Larry Elder, Ben Carson, and like-minded banking experts. Old Glory Bank is the pro-America online bank. It shares your values. It happens to be my bank. It's not just what they stand for that makes them great. They have really done a marvelous job with their mobile and online banking technology. So I did this the other day just to show that it works. There are 85,000 retail locations across the country. You can find them on Old Glory's website. You can go drop off cash and it gets deposited into your bank account. My local CVS is one of the places right by my house. They have budgeting tools called Goals that help you set up periodic payments to help you save for things like vacations or braces for the kids. They offer VA, conventional, FHA home loans. Right now, you can use Old Glory Bank. Cancel your bank. Go with Old Glory Bank. Switch to the Pro-America Bank. It's my bank. You can open an account in eight minutes or less at oldglorybank.com. Not only that, not only that, no fees for checking and savings accounts. Terms and conditions apply. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender, oldglorybank.com. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show, the perfect blend of news, analysis, opinion, and cooking. Yeah, cooking. 
Welcome, it's Eric Erickson. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Any one of you nationwide in charge of the finances of a business, reach out to them. See if they can help your business grow. If you're buying a business, you're building a business, you're buying a franchise, you're building a building, well, those are the deals they specialize in. You need $250,000 or more, reach out to First Liberty, firstlibertyga.com. Tell them I sent you. They can help any business in the United States of America. All right, let's begin here. Uh, I want to go to the phone since I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Don, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so my, I'm, I'm going to, uh, rearrange just a little bit because of uh, your, your last monologue, because this ties right in. Um, I, I realized that, uh, that at the Republican convention, the delegates are obligated to vote for the delegate, the 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 the, the, uh, the candidate that that sent them, mm-hmm. but if Trump is convicted of a crime, it could is it possible that enough of them would defect that it would go to a brokered convention, and if it did go to a broken brokered convention, would they side with someone more ideological ideologically aligned with Trump, say DeSantis over? Haley, who would have the next largest amount of delegates? That's a great question. Okay, uh, here's the, the the very short answer: is if Trump is something happens and he can't be the nominee on that Thursday of the convention, then it's an open convention and Katie bar the door. If, however, it happens after Wednesday of the convention when the vice president is confirmed, vice presidential nominee is confirmed, then the vice presidential nominee becomes the party's nominee for president. Uh, regardless of what happens to Trump. But if Trump is convicted of a crime and goes to prison and has become the Republican nominee, he is the Republican nominee. You can be in prison and still run for president of the United States under the American Constitution. That's a well-settled point. Whether or not you can win is a different matter. If you drop out, your vice presidential nominee becomes the nominee.